Welcome back to the Pop Culture Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Breen, and today I'll be joined by Vincent Simpson to discuss a wide range of topics, including upcoming movies, TV, and all things pop culture. If you like the podcast, follow me on Instagram at Patrick underscore Breen, or email us at popculturenerd2 at gmail.com. Okay, and we're back here with Vincent Simpson on the Pop Culture Nerd Podcast. How you doing, Vincent? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm, I'm holding in there. Obviously watching yeah. a lot of movies and watching a lot of TV. I'm sure yeah. you are too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've been using it as a good opportunity to binge some shows. Yeah. Vincent and I are trying out this uh, podcast online this time because we can't be in person. So hopefully it works out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a lot of topics to talk about today. Uh, the movie theater coronavirus impact is all anyone's really talking about in the film industry obviously coronavirus is all anyone's really talking about in the news but there's some pros and cons of uh of the added streaming and the more the access to movies but also losing the movie theater experience so what are your thoughts on that vincent well uh 2020 so far has just not been a good year for movie theaters in general specifically because way before the coronavirus pandemic started the paramount decrees were revoked and those were, the Paramount decrees were evoked in, I believe, either 39 or 49. And they had a lot to do with the fact that big movie companies could not buy movie theaters and, like, buy movie theater chains and those big um, cineplexes. But those, since those were revoked, it sort of gave, it's giving studios and, like, big budget, like, companies the ability to purchase those sorts of theaters and that was like the first big thing. And then when coronavirus started like overtaking everything, all these theaters started closing. And then big budget studios like Universal in particular started doing all this stuff. Like so, basically, so basically what this means is that um, a place like Disney, let's say, let's say Disney could buy a bunch of theaters. Let's say they bought like 30 theaters, a chain that's dying. I know that uh, chains like Regal and... Uh, Others are having a lot of financial trouble now. I even saw uh, AMC, I think, might have filed for bankruptcy recently. Um, but like That's a chain like Disney or Netflix could buy like 30 theaters and just decide to close them, not even use them for anything or exclusively mm-hmm. them for their movies. Yeah, it's I, I really just dislike the whole process. And I don't really think anyone's sort of in the right in the situation, especially after... Um, Regal and AMC had that whole debacle with Universal where essentially like, I think it was like, the fact it was like something like Trolls World Tour, like the DreamWorks movie. And it made like a bunch of money on like, like on demand or like in-home purchasing in whatever they call it, like in, in theater rental, I think they're calling it. Yeah, I think I know what happened with that actually was that Universal basically came out and they were like, Hey, we made so much money with Trolls World Tour that we're going to uh from now on maybe we'll just do this like we'll we'll just keep it out of the theaters we'll give direct access to consumers and the movie theaters kind of called their bluff and regal and amc came together to say look if you're not gonna give us your high budget like big movies or you're only going to give us your high budget big movies that you want in our theaters we're just not going to accept any of your movies is basically what they said yeah it's going to be detrimental to both of them especially when like fast and furious 9 comes out because that's like a pretty big box office draw for both of those companies. Like it's a real, the funniest part of this to me is just that like they 
are running around saying how how excellent and how much money they made off of Trolls World, World Tour. Tour. The fact that Furious 9 and Trolls World Tour are the movies that Universal is touting. I don't I, I know they make money and like I know kids like trolls, but what are we talking about? Why is this a thing? It's really kind of sad to me that we've kind it's, of evolved into this situation. I hate that we're like slowly starting to creep into the death of movie theaters. And I understand a lot of people like the benefits of streaming at home because it's more convenient and they don't need to leave. But I have always really valued the theater experience just on a personal level, especially in film festivals. Like, I don't think indie film theater, indie theaters, I think, are going to stick around forever. But these multiplexes, I think they're slowly going to start, they might slowly start dying out. I just really hope that doesn't happen because I value that too much. Well, let's be honest, a film company, an independent film company like A24 or others needs theaters. They really do because Mm -hmm. they're not going to make the same return on streaming. I mean, Netflix isn't going to buy, you know, the lighthouse at the same price that they're going to buy um you know avengers infinity war uh Mm -hmm. they need these small movie theaters to make money and they need their niche fan base to go out and buy them the niche fan base already has netflix if you like movies you probably already have netflix so they need people to go out to the theaters and buy them to keep these indie filmmakers and these film companies in business Mm -hmm. it's it's a hard thing for me to talk about because even though i do and like I've just went on like that whole tangent about how much I adore the theater experience. But at the same time, I do feel like streaming services have become more valued. And the fact that so many like legitimate filmmakers like Scorsese and Noah Baumbach have legitimized streaming services like Netflix, is just going to make it a lot harder for like the big theaters. I don't think indie theaters have like any, anything like to essentially like put them out of business because I think there's always going to be a market for like independent movie theaters yeah i hope so and I, and I think you're right but speaking of streaming uh i want to mention that disney plus just announced hamilton's going to be streaming in july but they also haven't announced uh whether or not mulan is going to take place a big movie that was supposed to come out in april which now is up in the air because of the coronavirus and so but it looks like they're going to start adopting and adding things to uh to disney plus what are your thoughts on that well, um, I did get the chance to experience some of that stuff firsthand because I watched Onward on Disney Plus because that pretty much, I checked the box office numbers for Onward. And since it was a Pixar movie that was an original IP and nobody really cared about it in the first place, it did not do well in terms of box office. So they essentially just dumped it off Disney Plus. And I feel like that might be the route that they're going with a lot of these options. So I do feel like eventually they're probably going to put Mulan on there like at some point. It's really interesting because I was doing some research into this this weekend and and today, actually, mainly Uh, from The Hollywood Reporter. They were recently saying that last month, the Disney company informed shareholders to expect the coronavirus pandemic to put a huge strain on uh, on the company and keeping it afloat. They said they'd lose at least five hundred million dollars total from uh, loss of movie sales, from the parks closing and all that. But they were able to raise a total of $11 billion in loans and $6 billion just in the last month for general corporate purposes, which I say in quote. And it makes me mm-hmm. kind of sad because they furloughed so many of their employees. And I know we've had discussions about how underpaid a lot of the 
uh, animation departments are at Disney and other places. So it's kind of sad to me that they're furloughing employees. Meanwhile, they're able to garner these massive, massive loans to try to pay off uh, their losses and through buying more products. So I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I know they've said that they wouldn't be able to pay all their employees and they had to furlough them, but something tells me I don't believe that. I don't believe that either. I think that's like they last year alone, they produced the highest grossing film of all time. And not only that, but I also find that incredibly ridiculous and incredibly convenient that their CEO, Bob Iger, stepped down right before all this went down. So, yeah, a lot of CEOs of like some of the major uh, Forbes, like 500 companies, they all seem to decide to step down before the coronavirus pandemic, which tells very you coincidental that, tells you that they knew something that our government didn't know, but whatever, or did know and didn't do anything about. But it's just interesting to me that they're able to raise so much money for these movies and for their streaming and to keep things open for their corporate employees. But I don't see their CEOs taking pay cuts. I see them furloughing employees. So I don't know. I, I don't love it. I obviously there's a pop culture podcast. So I don't want to harp too much on like the economics side of things, but it's a little sad. Um, and I really hope that movie companies and movie theaters treat their employees better. I actually wrote down on our topics list today. I didn't know if we'd get to it, but it feels like a good time to mention it. The video game, the last of us two is coming out. Uh, and I know that that company has had a lot of issues with animation workers striking. In fact, one of the workers reportedly leaked the entire plot of it, uh, of the new game, because of how upset he was over the uh, lack of pay and the overwork. And I know you talked about that with the Sonic movie, right? Along with some other movies? Yes, I did. And that's just because, like, well, I it's a little different when it comes to video game companies, but there's specific, if there's any like medium or specific area in terms of filmmaking that where the workers get mistreated the most, it's definitely the animation department, like with computer generated imagery, like um, MPC, which was the big one shut down. Overworked on Sonic the Hedgehog because they had to redesign the stuff, which is why all the effects in cats were almost completely unfinished. They worked on the Lion King movie. And then the other one that was pretty big that was a couple years ago was Sausage Party. And the animators were completely royally screwed over on that one because it had a massive budget, but you could tell a lot of that budget just went to paying the celebrity voice actors. And that's actually a point I was just going to bring up. A lot of voice actors in general are struggling uh, because their industry is really dying. Ever since the uh, dawn of big animated pictures with celebrities like Shrek, uh, voice actors have been losing their jobs. And I know people always say like, you know, whatever, those Hollywood people can afford it. Like they've got tons of money, but a lot of these voice actors really don't. They make their living off of voice acting They make their living off of small bit parts in animated series. And they don't actually, a lot of them are leaving the industry because of how celebritized, which is the word I'm making up for this, uh, <laughs> how celebritized things have become. It actually all started uh, <laughs> in a movie that, ironically enough, is now the character being portrayed by Will Smith. And I know we have our own problems with Robin Williams played the genie back in the day. And that was the dawn of the big, the big animation problems. Do you know about that, Vincent? Yeah, I think we actually discussed this at one point. Yeah, I think we've talked about it a number of times. But basically what happened is back when um, 
Disney was trying to get as many celebrities as they could into their movies. Aladdin was their big movie that they wanted to have the first like giant celebrity to be in. So they had Robin Williams, who's going to be the genie. They had him in this arduous contract. And in the contract, it stated, you can't work anywhere else but for us in animation, like for the next however long. And you are the face of the genie. But in his side of things, he said he did not want his likeness to be used for what he said was like McDonald's toys, basically the Aladdin character. And of course, Disney over-merchandised and it became the new fad. There actually, I do believe I know the specific movie that it was that sort of turned this whole thing on its head. It was, um, I believe it was a Don Bluth movie. It was the La- Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. And that part essentially just violated Disney's contract with Robin Williams because Robin promised not to do that, but he ended up doing Fern Gully. And I don't know the full like legal ramifications of anything, but I still think that Disney was kind of scummy in doing that still. Yeah, not to make this podcast just a bash Disney podcast, but basically what happened was following that, uh, Williams like stated publicly how annoyed he was with Disney because they basically breached his contract and used his likeness and used the genie as like their huge marketing tool for the movie. And one of the th- reasons he stated he didn't want it was because he didn't want voice acting to die and to go away. But of course, after Aladdin came movies like Shrek, CGI movies where you just have tons of celebrities come in. Uh, and now it seems like that trend has continued. Although I have noticed that uh, Pixar movies in particular have mostly tried to also incorporate voice actors but I mean, come on, you look at a movie like Onward, I mean, that was packed full of celebrities. <laughs> so I, it really bothers me that that's become the new norm. Yeah, I, I feel obligated to shout out the documentary on YouTube, Life After Pi, where um, they go into a lot of detail about stuff like that as well. More, less in terms of voice acting, but more just in terms of like the mistreatment of animators in Hollywood. And just like the fact that if you go and you look at the acceptance speech that the visual effects artists did when they won for Life of Pi, they were just about to talk about all of their, all the hardships that have been going through and how they were like kind of abused during the working process of that film. And then the music plays and they get cut off and it's a very upsetting thing to watch. Wow, that's really, really, really disturbing actually. Um, yeah. Moving on to a more, uh, a little bit brighter of a topic, Taika Waititi, Waititi will be uh, directing the new Star Wars movie. It's confirmed, Vincent. Interesting. I mean, I kind of not interested. Essentially, after The Rise of Skywalker, I was kind of happy to be done with Star Wars forever. Like, I, yeah. I just have really no interest. I haven't seen, like, I, I, I watched Solo very passively, uh, like, a couple of months ago, just because somebody had it on in, like, my dorm, and I was just like, yeah, whatever. I'm kind of done with this. Like, <laughs> So the way I look at it, um, I am still very much a Star Wars fan. And I want to point out that um, even if you didn't like the new movies, I'm not even just speaking to you, but just to the public in general, like, or if even if you did like the new movies or didn't, whatever you feel about them, there are some really good Star Wars things going on. Like if you watch just this latest arc of the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars TV show on Disney Plus, it's excellent. Like just these four episodes, the animation is incredible Mm. and the story arc is awesome. It's basically happening um, at the exact same time as Revenge of the Sith. So it's intertwining events from Revenge of the Sith uh, with the Clone Wars and it's really perfect. It's probably the best Star Wars I've seen 
since maybe Rogue One and maybe even longer than that. I like Rogue One, mm. uh, but of the new trilogy, I mean, I just, in the months following seeing Rise of Skywalker, my thoughts on those movies just have gone downhill and really gone down the toilet. I'm so <laughs> over those movies. They shouldn't have never existed. <laughs> no, yeah, but Disney wants to make money. But like with, that's what I've actually heard. Like a lot of people who I know from school who are like fans of the Clone Wars and they've like been watching it. A lot of them said that essentially like the first like 17 or so episodes were essentially filler to get to those last four episodes that were incredible. Yeah, and basically, I haven't, yeah. Yeah, well, I haven't. There were three arcs in it. One of them was notoriously slow and kind of bad. <laughs> but the first four episodes were good. And the second, the lat, or at least the last four episodes were awesome. They were really good. But uh, Taika Waititi, I'm not really sure what direction they're going to go with this, whether it'll be a one off or a new sequel trilogy. Uh, but if you ask me, you should just let, I think they should just let him pick. Like basically say, Look, you get full creative control. I know he's co-writing the script with the woman who uh, who wrote uh, 1917. Mm. Her name is escaping me right now. Oh. I know she's <laughs> a really, really good filmmaker. And I'm excited for what he does. He also directed the final episode of the Mandalorian series, which is by far my favorite episode. So I, I'm, I trust him. I think he'll do a good job. Uh, I've heard concerns from some people that they don't want Star Wars become, to become just like Marvel. They kind of want to keep it its own thing. Um, but I don't think he's going to go the same direction as Thor Ragnarok. I don't exactly know what he might do. And I, to be, with Thor Ragnarok, it's a movie I've slowly started to like less and less the more I've thought about it. But I do like kind of like it in the grand scheme of things in the way that it's like the technical side of everything. So if I do watch the new Taika Waititi Star Wars movie, I do know I'm going to get a lot of very creative filmmaking and very creative presentation. Maybe the plot or character development might be a bit lacking, but at least I'll get some really good like cinematography out of it. I agree with you about Thor Ragnarok. That at one point was one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's kind of gone down for me. I still like it, but to me, there's not, it's very uh, plot driven, like point to point plot driven where you want to get from one thing to another really quickly with a lot of, um, a lot of CGI and a lot of bright colors and a lot of bright animation and music, which is cool. And I like that. And I think Thor in particular needed something like that because that series was so uh, underdeveloped and not interesting, especially the first two movies. That movie was really, really good. Um, but I think he'll hopefully go a different direction with this and focus more on characters. I mean, that's all I really want. I want some good, character development in Star Wars. That's what we're, we're really missing. Star Wars has always been such a plot-driven uh, movie, like especially these sequel trilogies. There's really no character development, maybe with Kylo Ren, but even that is shaky. Um, Finn, there's not really any Rey. There's barely any other than that she's a Palpatine. And that's just, uh, I don't even want to get into it. I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole already, so I'll move on. No, yeah, because it's just from one of my, uh, from what I've, like, bet from Star Wars, because I just want to, like, my entire history with Star Wars, my first exposure to Star Wars was the Lego video games, so. Excellent and then, video games. Yes, I, li I like all the Lego video games for the most part, and then the first Star Wars movie I watched was Revenge of the Sith, and then I watched all the other ones eventually, and I watched the original trilogy, and I sort of, like, never got it, 
but the fact that I never got it, I kind of wanted to shield that. So I kind of pretended to be a fan when I never really was. And as I've like grown up and sort of been like, hey, it's okay not to like Star Wars. I was like, okay, I'm coming into my own. But with Star <laughs> Wars, what I've, yeah, what I've like, what it, what it seems to me, especially with those first three movies, it just seems like what Disney didn't really understand is just the fact that Star Wars is meant to be fun adventures with likable characters, essentially. And really, that's what like drew people in it in the first place with those likable characters and the fun like sense of adventure that you get from those movies. And that's just not present in these new films, essentially. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. And I think they tried to uh, kind of copy those themes from the originals, but the comedy really isn't there. And the plot is overanalyzed in Last Jedi and then underanalyzed in Rise of Skywalker, where like things are slow and make sense in Last Jedi, but they're really slow and they're not that interesting. But then in Rise of Skywalker, they're really interesting, but they make no sense. And we Yeah, it's sprinting to the finish it. line. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, like, moving on. Yeah, yeah, actually, no, give me your last point. Give me your last point. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say, it's just like, because each of these movies feel like it directly exists to contradict the last film, because The Last Jedi comes out and it says, everything established in the previous film. None of it matters, screw it. And then <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker comes out. It says, everything established in the last movie. None of it matters, screw it. Let's, let's get this, let's go home. Like, <laughs> Well, there isn't a Star Wars movie coming out this year, so there won't, that'll at least make some room in December. But I was talking about this earlier. December's becoming really crowded with movies. Obviously, West Side Story, Dune, uh, No Time to Die, I think is the, at the end of November, but even that may get pushed. Top Gun, New Mutants was just announced to be in December. And also The Black Widow at the end of November as well. So that's becoming a really crowded time for movies, especially because things are getting moved because of the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. I um, Out of all of these, the one I'm excited for the most is definitely Dune, because I love Denis Villeneuve. He is one of the best filmmakers working today. He can take a very... He's the perfect director that I see in terms of like everything. He's like very David Fincher-esque in the fact that he can take a very serviceable or mediocre script. And the fact that he is such an excellent director, he will produce a great movie every time. I actually, I'm, excited. I'm, I'm getting really hyped for Dune too, because just looking at that cast, like I'm really excited. Um, I love fantasy, like political dramas. I was a huge Game of Thrones fan up till the last season, but I want <laughs> to, um, I actually think I might read Dune because I want to go in with like a, a big understanding. And I think they're planning on making two movies. Uh, it's a very Denny, long book. Yeah. I think Denny's going to do this movie and I think he's also doing the second movie and they're keeping, uh, they're not going the Lord of the Rings route of doing a trilogy, but I think they're going to do two movies to try to satisfy the fans of it. Um, mm. Someone told me, or I was listening to something where they said that, the audiobook actually is broken up by character. And so it's kind of like a play to listen to. So I think I might hmm. actually do that for Dune. And I'm really excited. But I'm excited for that movie. I'm a little nervous for West Side Story, to be honest, because it's going in, in a really crowded time and it opens the same weekend as Dune. Uh, it also opens the same weekend as Coming to America, which is a silly movie, but I bet we'll make money. I'm very initially skeptical and especially because I'm not particularly excited for this version specifically because I've seen in a lot of press um, associated stuff how they've decided to make it more in tune with the musical and more accurate to the original stage musical 
as opposed to making it a direct remake of the film, which worries me because one of the reasons why I like the film is because they made very specific changes that sort of helps with the tone and the pacing a lot better, especially in comparison to the musical. Moving on to another beloved franchise, Harry Potter actually came out with an audiobook uh, and they're doing, going chapter by chapter. They're sort of copying Lord of the Rings because Andy Serkis uh, read Lord of the Rings um, and did like a 12-hour live stream reading The Hobbit, actually, not Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> but they've been doing it, and Daniel Radcliffe read the first chapter of Sorcerer's Stone. I actually listened to it, and it's really, really fun, and I love that they're doing all these things. So it just goes to show you that uh, there's a lot of creative choices being made from quarantine, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I like that people are using it to the best of their, you know, ability to do some creative stuff, especially like this is, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but this is very personal to me. The fact that quarantine has happened has sort of opened the door for some other stuff that I really love. Specifically, they recently put um, Community on Netflix, which is my favorite TV show of all time. And the fact that they put it on Netflix sort of has reinvigorated the popularity of the show which means that we might actually be getting some sort of continuation in the form of a movie, which the creator Dan Harmon has always like desperately wanted. And also the fact they recently did a bunch of podcasts, Joel McHale and Ken Jong, two of the cast members, they started a podcast together and they invited all the cast members. And even specifically that one cast member that everyone knows, Donald Glover, who essentially he's starting to sort of, you know, come back into the fray and the only reason that they hadn't like solidified the fact that they were making a movie is specifically because they weren't positive that Donald was going to be a part of it. And I'm glad that he might be because they're going to do a table reading of an episode like a couple days. And I'm really excited for that. So, yeah. Yeah. Obviously he's maybe moved on to uh bigger things in some ways, Childish Gambino, of course, but mm -hmm. still awesome that he's coming back to, uh, to do a movie there. Um, in other movie news, I saw that the Batman uh, has been getting a lot of discussion because it just resumed filming. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you about the Robert Pattinson adaptation. Do you like uh, him in the Batman role? I love Robert Pattinson in general, so I'm sure he will do a good job. So, <laughs> Yeah, we both love him in The Lighthouse, and I think he's a really underrated actor because people still think of him as a vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I highly recommend you watch Good Time at some point. That's another one where he's really, really great. He's excellent in that film. Yeah, a Safdie brother movie, right? By mm -hmm. the, Those are the same guys who did Uncut Gems and another movie you should, everyone should watch. But um, I really love their style of filmmaking, and I like that Pattinson yes. is experimenting a little bit. But anyway, I saw that Andy Serkis, we just, wow, we're really name-dropping Andy Serkis. It said <laughs> that he, uh, he said it's a more darker and more, emotionally connected Batman which is interesting to me because I mean the Christopher Nolan Batman is pretty dark and emotionally yeah, that was connected what I, that was what I was gonna I was gonna say that like that's essentially how they've marketed every Batman movie for like the past like 15 years now so like I'm confused as to why that's still a selling point I, I guess there are ways where he could be more emotional than the Christian Bale Batman, but darker. I mean, that's one of the darkest trilogies, superhero trilogies. Actually, it is the darkest superhero trilogy. So I don't know, but you don't okay. like the edginess of Man of Steel, bro, <laughs> or Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice. Oh God. Anyway, well, I really hope that's good. 
I hope Dune is good. I hope all these fantasy movies are good. And I'm just excited for this fall of movies. I really, really hope we're out of quarantine and we can go to the theater. I don't even think all, most of these movies aren't even the one that I'm the most hyped for. I think the one I'm hyped for the most is um, Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie, because Edgar Wright is my favorite director. I like go around what I think my favorite director is. And as of right now, my favorite director is probably Edgar Wright. So, Yeah, I'm excited for that as well. I also didn't mention the Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. That's, Ooh, yes. uh, that's supposed to come out in July. And they've said in recent weeks like that they're going to discuss uh if they're gonna have to move it or not oh by the way i didn't get your take on mulan what do you think of that movie coming out and do you think it's worth moving or if it's better to just release it on disney plus i think they should just release it on disney plus i have no interest because like they already made it they already made they already made this movie back in 91 or whenever it came out no 99 i think yeah they already made it back in 99 so like (laughs) i'll enjoy it if it's a different adaptation if it's like original in its own right i'll be cool with it and i'll probably like it if they pull a lion king and just do the exact same thing then i will not be interested but from what i've heard and from the trailers it seems like it's its own thing i'm just so burned out off of these live action remakes they've already announced they they just announced that they're doing a hercules one and a treasure planet no not a treasure planet and atlantis one like and those i i just I just want them to do things that aren't live action remakes of the original stuff. Like, guess what? The reason I like this movie is because it's animated. Vincent, I have a couple rapid fire questions for you since I feel like we should end this on a light note uh, because okay. we talked a lot about a lot of serious subjects and a lot of quarantine related yes, yes, yes. coronavirus subjects. So my first rapid fire question, Tarantino versus Christopher Nolan, the age old debate, who you got? Oh, that's hard. That's very hard. Okay, so I think I'm going to go with mm, Tarantino. I'm also going with Tarantino. My reasoning is because even though I love Christopher Nolan, I think he desperately needs somebody to check over his scripts before he starts shooting things. I kind of agree, and I'm not going to lie. I know people don't agree with me on this, so this is my hot take of the day. Dunkirk is an overrated movie. I think that same exact way, but about Interstellar. <laughs> I've actually never seen Interstellar, which is crazy, I know. It's very long, it's visually stunning, and the ending is really stupid. <laughs> That's yeah. all I gotta say. I love Dunkirk's visuals, and I love that it's like a documentary format, kind of like a war documentary format, but to me, it's just like, I like a plot-driven movie, or I like a character-driven movie, and this movie, to me, isn't either. And I know that's like, people are going to argue with me about that because they think it is a character driven movie. But to me, it's more just a war scene driven movie. It's not. Yeah, really I don't really know. Movie. That's why. Yeah. I, I, if I were to argue against it, I don't think I would say it, like it's, it is character driven because it's very much matter of fact, man on the ground, just showing these things as they happened essentially. And that's one of the reasons why it connected with me because I like the fact that it's a war movie that doesn't get bogged down on like, they don't have that scene where like all the characters are sitting around a campfire like, oh man, I got a family back at home. Like, I don't, I didn't need that. Like, that's why I liked it. I agree with that. I, I like, I also appreciate that. And don't get me wrong. I like it as a movie. I just think it's overrated because to me, uh, when it was up for best picture and I was hearing people saying that it should win, I just didn't agree with them because I said, you know, like if you're going to win best picture, I want like almost all elements to be there. I want the character to be there. I want the plot to be there. And I want the visuals to be there as well. 
to me, it didn't feel like that type of movie. Uh, that being said, it's still a really good, awesome movie that I'm happy people enjoy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally valid. <laughs> All right. So if you're going to go with Tarantino, I'm going to have to ask you to give me a top five. And I'll go first if you want. I haven't you can really, go first. <laughs> I haven't really thought about this extensively. So off the cuff, I think my number one's got to be Pulp Fiction. Uh, my number two is probably going to be Inglorious Bastards, three, Reservoir Dogs, four, Hateful Eight, and five, Django Unchained. Mm, mm, mm. I have a very different list. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, my number one is hands down uh, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. Those films are incredible. I adore those films. Followed by Reservoir Dogs. And I know it just came out, but it's really connected with me. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is my third favorite out of his filmography. Yeah. And, I um, may or may not have forgot about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> All right, Once Upon a Time, I'll rethink, I'll rethink, keep going. <laughs> okay, so yeah. And then at number four, I put Pulp Fiction, obviously, because I still love it. But I just, it, my biggest issue with Pulp Fiction, I understand a lot of people don't feel that way. For me, the movie feels exactly like its runtime it feels two and a half hours long it the pacing is not necessarily bad but i just think once upon a time in hollywood is even longer and yet it feels like such a shorter movie and then followed by the hateful eight as my number five i think the hateful eight uh is actually a very underrated movie i know some people yes. don't like it um i've always liked it it might just be because um i love those cool like put a ton of different characters in a room and just see what happens movies, which is kind of what the hateful eight is. Um, and I really like the like character driven, how character driven that movie is without sacrificing the plot. So I do enjoy hateful eight. That's why it's number four on my list. I think if I had to leave something off, it would probably be Django Unchained. That to me, Django Unchained is like a good starter movie when you're watching Tarantino. Cause it's like, it just gets you into it. The movie feels so quick. It's like, packed with action and it's really good but i don't necessarily have it in my top five i think i'm gonna put once upon a time in hollywood at three um in my list okay. and move down hateful eight um but i really like uh django unchained still but i don't think it'll be in my top five i agree with you on pulp fiction but to me that's what makes it such a unique and, and really good movie is that i mean he's always been accused of or sorry he's never been accused of lacking words and lacking dialogue <laughs> Um, the script economy that movie, yeah, that movie has very little script economy but i do <laughs> i do love it i love it i and script economy by the way explain I, I to me that term so I, I despise much. that term i don't know why it exists and it makes somebody, no sense somebody put it on like the marvel cinematic universe subreddit at some point talking about how both infinity war and pulp fiction are the same runtime but infinity war is better in terms of the way it wrote the characters because there was less dialogue and I don't understand that at all because they're both first they're two completely different films they're so vastly apart from each other but like also dialogue is not the way of determining whether or not a character is developed or not because they're talking about how Thanos is more developed than a character in Pulp Fiction but like I, it, it's stupid it's a stupid made-up term made by fake film bros who think they know stuff about movies. Yeah, so, script like, economy to me makes no sense. And I'll tell you why it's so dumb and why it, I don't even know why I'm validating it by bringing it up on the podcast. 
script economy to me um, basically is just saying finding the best way to mince our words and still get our point across. And that always isn't, I know that sounds good, but like for a movie like Infinity War, that's awesome because you have tons of characters and tons of events that have to take place. So you have to figure out to fit in as much character development as you can. Pulp Fiction wants to develop people in a slow burn. That's what I think. Obviously, a, a conversation about hamburgers isn't character development, but it still ingratiates us as an audience to the character and lets us know aspects of their background and what they're like. And mm -hmm. It's just enjoyable dialogue. That, to me, doesn't take away from a film. That adds to it. Yeah. And you also get to know more about Quentin as a writer. You get to know, he writes his own like personal opinions and thoughts into the dialogue of the characters as well, just to sort of get his points across. I hope everyone out there enjoyed the podcast. Thank you for coming on, Vincent. It was great being on. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Breen. Special thanks to Vincent Simpson for joining us today. Be sure to email any questions or thoughts you have about the show to popculturenerd2 at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram or Twitter at Patrick underscore Breen. 